I have a sermon now, which is for me a, something of a weighty sermon. It's a message of importance, um, uh, and I, I care very deeply because I feel I feel a weight on the message. I feel a prophetic sense on it that is uh, probably a little more grave than than most messages I bring. I want to talk in the series we're starting about the goodness of God and. I want to talk about the, the, the God who sees the future or the God who creates the future. And the future creating God is the title of this message. And so <clears throat> if you understand that God creates the future, I think we all know this. We know and believe that Jesus is um, who he says he is. He knows all things. He sees all things. He has a divine plan and he's working out that plan according to his purposes. Everybody kind of gets that. And if you add to that reality that God in his sovereign will allows people to choose how they're going to live their lives. That choice doesn't affect his purposes in all uh, creation. God's going to still get done what he planned to get done. But he does give you a choice and you can do uh, with your life as you choose. You can choose to cooperate and co-labor and turn your life and tune it into him. Or you can choose not to. But when we choose to turn and seek him and serve him... That pleases him, and he works with those people. He listens to them. He delights to share his plans with them, and he loves to accommodate them wherever healthy. I say accommodate them wherever healthy because sometimes I've asked the Lord for things that would not have been healthy. So he just doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't go with me into stupid, if you, know, if you know what I'm saying. He's not going to join you in silliness, but he is going to accommodate you wherever healthy. Because his interest is not in this automatic sort of relationship. He's interested in a relationship with you, which means that he wants you to know him. And he is eager to know what's in your heart. Your heart can still move God. Now, this, this really gets religion nervous. Because the moment you get into a place where you start speaking about your heart having an impact on God's heart, they go, oh, 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 no, that can't be. But there's multiple, and I don't have time to go into it, but I can show you that from Scripture. There are many, many people whose heart moved God's heart and changed them around. So let me take you to Romans 4. I want to just pick out two things. We're going to hang on this Scripture for a little, just make sure we, we understand it, and then we're going to proceed from there. Romans 4.16 says, that's why it depends on faith. He's talking about this concept that who are the real children of Abraham? Are, is it the Jews who, who were circumcised and who have to obey every aspect of the law? Or is it people who have the same faith that Abraham has? And Paul is trying to make the statement that, that uh, God's kindness will come to the people who have the faith of Abraham. He says that's why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace. And be guaranteed to all of his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham. Basically, Paul says, listen, God made your inheritance uh, available to you upon this single mechanism. Not the mechanism of obedience, of perfection of obedience, but on the mechanism of God makes a promise. And if you believe his promise, then you can, ex then you can receive what he promised. God made the mechanism, promise and faith, so that it's available to everybody. Because if he made the mechanism, it's, it's the perfection of your obedience, then it would be available to nobody. Are we with me? So God, in his kindness, in his grace, 
made the mechanism that you can receive inheritance this simple issue. I'm going to make a promise, and anybody who believes my promise can receive the promise. Let me read it again. This is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. There's various versions. I want to just show you this in various versions. Young's literal says, calling the things that be not as being, who creates new things out of nothing, who calls into existence what does not exist, calling into being the things not even existing, calling the things that are not as though they were, whose command brings into being what does not exist, makes reference to things that do not exist as though they did, summons the things that do not yet exist, as though they already do. God who gives life to the dead. This is fascinating to me because some of us say <clears throat> death is the end, but not really because God gives life to the dead. So we can't say, well, there is no hope. There's never no hope. God gives life to the dead. He's defining the God that Abraham believed in. Abraham believed in the God who gives life to the dead. Our faith is built on this issue that you will be raised again, just like Jesus was. God gives life to the dead. And he calls things not yet existing into existence. He calls new out of nothing that, that which be not as though it be, referencing unmade things naturally, summoning things that be not as though they are. This means that when God speaks to us, some of the things that he's referring to in the present tense do not yet exist. Oh, I hope this is getting through. This means that there is a walk of faith for us. Because if God speaks about it and it, it does not yet exist, but he calls what does not yet exist as though it does exist. And so if you look at it with the eyes of faith, you, you begin to step into what God is calling for. But if you look at it through the eyes of unbelief, through the natural eye, you, it doesn't exist. And so you say, it's not there. I can't step into that. So it becomes, it becomes a watershed issue, this issue of faith, because God will speak a promise and he watches who believes. Because that's the mechanism upon which you receive inheritance. The older son thought that it, the mechanism of receiving inheritance was perfect obedience. And so when his younger brother went away, demanded his inheritance, went away, squandered it and came back and his father blessed him, he was knotted up and he said, I've done nothing wrong. I've only ever done everything right and you didn't even give me a little chicken to share with my friends. But this guy comes home and you kill the fatted calf for him. Because he thought, he thought inheritance is released by perfect obedience. But inheritance is released by faith. Are you tracking? Yeah. Now, if you're not careful here, see, 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 woo, watch this. If you're not careful, religion will say, no, no, you don't have to believe that. You just have to obey these rules. Just a little more effort. And then you'll, then you'll receive. And you'll never receive inheritance that way. It doesn't come that way. It comes by faith. So you cannot add more effort to your unbelief to make up for your unbelief. I'm not sure this is getting through. So you have to go, I'm going to dare to believe what God said. 
I'm going to believe what he said. And I'm going to start acting in line with what he said. Because when I start acting in line with what he said, then that becomes manifest. I begin to step onto steps that a minute ago did not exist, but now they exist because he spoke them into being. This means God speaks in the present tense, and if you look with a natural eye, it does, it's not present. So it's a massive advantage for those of us who believe because we set out in directions, confidently striding into a settled future that's unknown and unseen by other people. Our actions must be informed by our spirits and our eyes and what the Lord is saying and not just by what we can see. Because if we act out of what we see in the spirit, we can step into realities that other people cannot see. This is what Hebrew says the ancients were commended for. This is what they were good at. They began to take God's word and they began to see things that they could not see in the natural. Because let me just tell you, uh, this is the prophetic part. I believe we're coming up on a crossroads. You cannot continue. The Lord is not allowing the church in these United States to continue as it has been all these past years. We cannot just keep continuing down this road and expect to see the kingdom. So God is deliberately driving us to a point where you're going to have to choose one way or the other. You either are going to stand back and start to listen to what God is saying and see what he's doing and respond to that which you see in your spirit, or you choose not to go that way and you go this way, which is the way of the natural man. My atheist neighbor will go this way. And the only thing you could got to look forward to down this road is you have to look to politics and the economy and to world events. This is Panic City Express down this road. Panic attack, fear-driven, hopelessness road down this road. And what a tragedy it would be for those who have been born again so that they can see the kingdom. Jesus said, unless you're born again, you won't see the kingdom. But if you're born again, you can see the kingdom. What a tragedy for born again people to go down this road. So the Lord in his kindness, please hear me. The Lord in his kindness is driving our nation to this place. You're going to have to choose. You have to start to live out of the spirit. Be, what Jesus said, you'll not live by bread alone, but by every word comes out of my mouth. Well, I, I don't like being that dependent on God. Can, can you just teach me some principles that I can obey and then that'll be enough? No. No, because principles alone are not enough. You can look at the economy and world events and wars and droughts and floods and shortages and riots and diseases and uncertainties and you can look to economy and politicians and innovations or you can look to the Lord, listening to his voice. One road is full of fear and anxiety, panic, timidity, hatred, accusation, retraction, hopelessness, and the other one listening to the Lord is full of life and excitement and joy and peace and shiny eyes and great expectations. I was bumped into somebody the other day and uh, I was just excited about the future and because of some of the things the Lord whispered to me in the secret place and I'm just jazzed about the future. And I was talking to him and he just, oh, whoa, he's us. it's all, we're all going to die. And I was like, he's a little bit ticked with me. 
because I was too full of hope and joy. And I was a little ticked with him because he should know better. He's a believer. And I realized in the last three months, some of the things the Lord has whispered to me in the secret place have just filled my heart with peace and joy and excitement. But I didn't get it from a sermon. I didn't pick it up on a podcast. I didn't read it in a book. I heard it in the secret place. This is why the Lord's been saying for a year to this church, come on, come seek me, come find me, get the oil of intimacy, come and listen to my voice, because there's treasure. Friends, I'm telling you a truth, that's where the treasure is. The, the treasure is in the secret place of God, you and Jesus, and Him speaking to you. And if you hear His words in that secret place, that's treasure, and it, it's just full of peace and hope. And you look at the future with eyes expectant and full of joy and woo, this is going to be a party. That's why we've been gathering the oil of intimacy and slowing down in order so that we can reprioritize the kingdom. (laughs) Jesus said you must be born again because if you're not born again, you won't see the kingdom. And Jesus said it'll be like this with everyone who's born of the Spirit. The wind will blow and you, it'll, it'll move you. And you but, but people won't be able to understand it or perceive it, unsafe people. The difference between you and me and our atheist neighbor is that uh, we can go to the secret place and hear whispers and God can open our eyes and we can see things and, and they have creative power because He is the God. He is the God who calls things that do not exist as though they do. And the moment you believe what he said, they exist. Just add faith and stir. When he speaks it to you, this is not my pumping myself up with, with, with clever ideas or, or, or expanding my vision. This is going into the secret place and having God say, this is yours. And then you come out and you look and you go, it's not there. And you get into the spirit. You go, oh, there it is. How many people experience that? I go into the, I go into the place of the Lord. I come out, oh, this is so good. Then I turn on the news. I go, what happened? They obviously... I'm going to sing this song till we get it right, folks. We're going to keep talking about this. There was nothing. God existed and there was nothing. So everything that exists, exists because God spoke it and believed it, and then it existed. That's the way he creates. It matters not what is in your life right now. It doesn't bother me that it does not yet appear. What, what is of interest to me is what is the Lord saying to you, and how, are you believing it? Because if you believe what he says to you, you just created something. God is about creating futures in the room today. Because if you won't step in by faith into co-creating a future that he has dreamed for you, you have to go down this road with the rest of them. Hopeless alley. Dark and dingy road. So my great question of the day is, what is the Lord saying to you? Greg, you don't understand. God doesn't speak to me. Oh, yes, he does. Because what he says is great power and great effect.
Let me just, at the, at the risk of being redundant, let me just say it one more time. We're coming on a crossroads. And God is eager, urgent to speak to you about his plans for your life. And according to the word of God, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and to bless you and to give you hope and to give you a future that cannot be cut off. That's what Jeremiah said. That's the plans God has for you. Well, God wants to kill me here. No, the plans that God has for you are to give you hope and a future and to prosper you. To give you a hope that cannot be cut off. And so the Lord is eager to do this. And the, the urgency of the hour, I believe, is for us to come and listen to his voice. So what should we do then in response to all of this? If you believe that God calls the things that don't yet exist as though they do, then you come seeking for him to understand what's coming. Romans 8.31. What then shall we say in response to all of this? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is good, then what should I do? There's two people I think that stand out in Jesus' life and in these last days while he was on the earth that made a difference. And we already spoke about one of them. But I want to take you to uh, two of his disciples who really heard what Jesus was saying. Because they had two different postures. And I think those two postures are helpful for us. And I want to try and extrapolate that. So Jesus begins to explain his sufferings. Jesus had two years of just unbelievable success. Massive crowds following him. He kept telling people, don't tell anybody about this miracle I just did for you. Because he, he didn't, he just, but then it got too big. And so Jesus began to withdraw with his disciples, try and sneak away. Because he wanted to disciple them. He didn't want to spend all his days just ministering to the crowds. And so Jesus had from time to time, been speaking to various people about the fact that he was going to die. He had said in John to destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up again. And then uh, he spoke about, you know, just as Moses lifted up a snake, and the Son of Man is going to need to be lifted up. And then uh, they said, give us a sign. And he said, no sign will be given you except the sign of the prophet Jonah, who was in the belly for three days. So Jesus had given these hints about the fact that he has to be lifted up, he has to be crucified, he has to be raised again. But nobody was understanding. So Jesus begins to increasingly remove himself from the crowds, spend time with his disciples, and he starts to try and educate the disciples, hey guys, this is what's going to happen. So let's go to Matthew 16. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and he must suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day raised. This is Jesus focused education of the 12 and those who followed him. Guys, we have to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. And then, so Peter takes him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Can we just acknowledge now, for the sake of basic truth, that a mind that is set on the things of men is probably hindering the kingdom. Minds uninformed by God's word, wise though they may seem, spiritual though they may feel, end up resisting what God is trying to do. 
Of course, my resistance to God's plan has no power to stop it at all, but it does cause me to end up on the wrong side of history. For you are setting your mind on the, not on the things of God, but on the things of man, Jesus said. Later on, even after he's dead, they watched him die. They, Peter's hacking off ears. He's trying to stop it. They didn't get quite what was going on. You'd think that they would go, ah, this is it. Okay. They run to the tomb because Mary says, hey, he's gone. John 20, come with me there. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. This is John talking about himself because he and Peter had a thing. So I beat him to the tomb, but then he went in first. You know, like. It says, he saw and believed. So I basically, I went in and I believed. And, but we still didn't understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their staying. So there, there are... There's this reality in Scripture that nobody quite understood. Jesus had been trying to communicate. Nobody had actually heard it. Except we have John here who said he finally believed in the tomb. So I want to talk about two postures that I think are helpful for us at this time. What shall we do in response to this reality? Number one, lean back and ask. This was John's thing, how he listened to Jesus. Lean back and ask. John 13. After he had said this, Jesus was very troubled in spirit and testified very truly, one of you is going to betray me. They're at the Last Supper. There's 12 of them around Jesus. There's 13 guys lying around a table. And his disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. Matthew, it says, they began to say to him one after another, is it, is it me, Lord? And one of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, this is John, was reclining next to him. In, in the Jewish way, they would lie on their side around the table, and uh, John is lying next to Jesus. And Simon Peter motions to him and says, ask him. And so leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus said, I'm going to dip this piece of bread into the dish, and then I'm going to give it to him. So Jesus dips it and gives it to Judas. So John is going, oh, no way. Look at that. That's Judas. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him, and Jesus said to him, what you're about to do, do quickly. I think they walked out of there. I think the rest of the disciples are still going, do you think it's me? I think Thomas said, I, I think it's me. Did you see the way he looked at me? John walked out and said, it's not you, Thomas. Relax, Bartholomew. They were still going, do you think it's me? Like, calm down, it's not you. How do you know? In my experience, the difference between people who hear God's voice and those who don't hear God's voice is just because some people lean back and ask. Because God's not a respecter of persons. He doesn't have favorites. He just answers anybody who genuinely seeks. And if you lean back and ask, it'll tell you. So you say, Greg, what should I do in this season? What should I be doing? I, I just want to say to you, as often as you can, please, please hear me, as often as you can, get into his presence, lean back and ask. But you don't know what I've done. I don't care what you've done. Nor does he. God is interested in diligent seekers. Well, you don't know how far back I'm starting. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you start. It matters 
Are you diligently wanting to seek him? And those people who come into his presence and lean back and say, Lord, oh, could you talk to me? He loves that. I tell you a truth. Please, I tell you a truth. What you hear in those moments are the treasures of your life. They will keep you. They will inform you. They will fill you with faith, give you peace. When nothing else will, they'll center you. They'll set your eyes, and you'll begin to see things because he picks your eyes up and says, look there. And then you start to look there, and then you see what he intended you to see. Cannot emphasize enough. Lean back and ask. The second one is, Mary, keep low and listen. Luke 10, I want to show you something about Mary. She, she, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, they came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he said. You know the story. Martha comes in. She's, knocked, she's nodded up because Mary's sitting and listening, and she's got all the housework to do. And she goes, could you please tell my lazy sister to come help me with the housework? And Jesus said, she chose what's better. We can get food anywhere. But she can't get what I'm bringing anywhere else. She sat here and listened because at least she understood what was going on. At the end of the day, Martha thought, you know, they all left full. Mary said, wow, look at the kingdom. Mary always sat at Jesus' feet. John 11, when Lazarus had died, Martha comes up and says to Jesus the exact same words that Mary says to him. The difference is Mary falls at his feet. It says, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said exactly the same as her sister had said. And when she said exactly the same words her sister had said, it moved Jesus. And he, 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 he was moved by that. And he said, where have you laid him? I'm going to raise this man. Later on, John 12, they're having a dinner in honor of Jesus because Lazarus is raised and there's Simon the leper is there and there's all these people who Jesus has healed in the city and they're all sitting around the table, miracle after miracle after miracle and they're sitting around and they're celebrating and here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor and Martha served. That was her usual place. While Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him, then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet. That was her usual place. And she wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the perfume. And Mark 14 says, Jesus said, The poor you will always have with you, and you can, you can help them any time you want, but you will not always have me. And she did what she could. She poured perfume on my feet beforehand to prepare me for my burial. Mary would sit and listen, sit at his feet, sit in awe, sit in wonder, submitting yourself to his lordship. There was a posture there. John leaned back because there was a tenderness, there was a friendship, there was a connection. Mary sat down because she honored him and she listened. Haswell theory is that's why Mary was the first person to see Jesus alive. That when he rose, he showed himself to her first. You know why? Because she was the only one who got him beforehand. You get me, Mary. So he shows up to her and says, hey, go tell my brothers to meet me. And she goes, and he says, no, no, I, I've got to go back. I've got, to, I've got some stuff to do, Mary. I just wanted to let you know I'm here. Just tell them to meet me there. They've got a few days' march before I'll show myself to them. I just wanted to tell you I'm, I'm alive. 
Can I suggest? Because I'm, I'm expecting, I'm leaning, I absolutely trust the faithfulness of God to be true to who He said He would be. He wants to tell you the future. He wants to speak His dreams. He wants to reveal His plans. He wants to tell you how good He is. He wants to show you His love. That's absolutely true. Against that backdrop, what is the best advice I could give you seeing that that's the truth? My advice is develop these two habits for this month. Lean back and ask. Stay low and listen. This is not the time to give answers. This is not the time to stand up and preach. This is the time to lean back and ask. Stay low and listen. In the last three months, there are some things that are so precious to me about the future that I'm hardly sharing them with anybody. But there are some things that I believe about the future for those who can see that the next few years are going to be unbelievably good. Hear me. You've never seen years like we're going to have. Never in your whole life. Never, ever. They're going to blow your mind. They're going to stretch you. You're going to be marked for eternity by what the Lord and His glory does in the next few years. But it's for people who can see. Because you're going to have a choice. You either step into what He said or you go with the flow, which is down this road. This way is joy and freedom and peace. It's a little, little exhilarating. Follow the Lord. There's some, some excitement. This way is dark and heavy and panic attack and fear, anxiety and stress, bickering. This is peace and unity and joy. How do you know, Greg? Because God is the author of this. I want to ask Michelle to come up. Can we get a microphone? Um, here you go. I feel like the Lord just wanted us to pray and break off some things because there's some people who've been caught up in Anxiety City. Some panic attacks have been hitting some people in the church. There's some fear. There's some depression. The Lord uh, just really wants to snap some things off people because if you haven't been seeing this, all you can see is with the natural eye and then that's just dark and ugly. And I feel like the Lord said He wants to break some of that off. He wants to snap something off some people today. So in just a, a few minutes, I'd like to just pray that. And um, so we're just going to do that. Yeah, I just want to do, I wanted to share two things with you. But I just wanted to say, you know, sometimes we, when there's a long battle, we tolerate things. Yeah. And, and we become familiar with, with, with something, if I dare say, is actually demonic. Yeah. And not that every battle is, but we fight not against flesh and blood. So two things, I felt like the Lord wanted to, um, area where he wants to break chains was a long-term struggle with sickness. A spirit of inf infirmity can become familiar to us mm -hmm. until we see that this is not, this is not from the Lord and this is not our inheritance. And so I felt like the Lord, he just reminded me there was no sickness that was left out on the cross. 
even if it doesn't have a name, he knows. There was no sickness left out on the cross. And I felt like he wants to break a spirit of infirmity where there's been one thing after another. Because there's, the Lord is saying to us, I believe, that there are testimonies of healing yeah. for us as a body, and there are testimonies of healing for you individually that God has. So he wants to break off um, chains of infirmity, spirit of infirmity. And then I also feel like there's people here that are, you've just been weighed down with discouragement for long-term battles, and they do, they do weigh us down. But often the result is unbelief. And so I feel like the Lord says he wants to break a spirit of unbelief, and he wants to restore faith to believe that God is good, that we would see him in his glory, that we would see him as the one who sits on the throne, the one with blazing eyes of fire. He is the King of Kings, and He is the one who is good, and He has goodness stored up for us. So two things, spirit of infirmity and just a spirit of unbelief and discouragement. God is breaking those chains today, and He's going to be the lifter of our heads. We're just going to pray together. And you don't have to stand, but we, we're just going to agree with you. And if you know that's you, and um, Michelle's going to pray, and then I'm going to pray and break some things off that I feel like the Lord's spoke, spoken about. And, and um, but just fear and anxiety and depression. I want to go after that. That's a nonsense thing. We're going to break that back. Because it's coming, it wrote in on the back of, of COVID and said, okay, I'm here to stay. It's not here to stay. It's here to go today. Let's pray together. So, Father, we thank you for your goodness, Lord. We thank you, Father. Your word says that you command victories for us. Yeah. Lord, you look at your people and Jesus. you bring a command of victory. Thank you. And so, Lord, we thank you, Father, that this morning you're breaking off a spirit of infirmity. Yeah. And we, we thank you, Lord, for the authority you've given us. Yeah. And we say, you spirit of infirmity, yeah. you back off of your, yeah. our people your in Jesus' people. name. We break the spirit of yeah. infirmity that's trying to hang around. Yeah. Sickness on repeat. We say yeah. no, more no more in Jesus' name. In and Jesus Father, we just declare it. healing on repeat yeah. over your people. Amen. We thank you, Father, that testimonies of healing will Amen. be ours in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, I just break the, the spirit of discouragement. We thank you, Father, that yeah. you are a spirit of encouragement. Holy Spirit, yeah. you come to encourage. And so, Lord, right now, I release your people into encouragement. Thank and you, we Lord. break off that spirit of unbelief, that yeah. demonic spirit that tries to Thank pull you. us down and blind our eyes to your goodness. Lord, I break that off in Jesus' name. Yeah. And Father, I release faith again and hope again because you are the God of all hope. I release a spirit yeah. of hope, Father, just to trickle down. I just see the Lord pouring oil over you. If this is you, I see the Lord pouring his oil He's anointing oil over you. Yeah. And he's releasing hope. And he's releasing encouragement. And he's releasing physical healing. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Father, your word says the garments of praise instead of the spirit of heaviness. And Father, we rebuke heaviness off your people. That thing that wants to settle and, and eventually muster into de depression. We rebuke you. We break that heaviness off, Lord, and we forbid it now in Jesus' name. Lord, we come up against th this thing that wants to drive panic attacks into the people of God. And we break that off. No, no, no more. In Jesus' name be gone. We release, Lord, peace and wholeness into the hearts and minds of your people. And we thank you, Father, that you'd arrest this. And Lord, this depression that wants to lead even to suicide, we break that thing. Be gone in Jesus' name. You have no right here or hold. We forbid you in Jesus' name for touching any of our people. But Lord, we thank you for your kindness. We thank you for the goodness of our God, Lord. 
We thank you that the plans that you have for us, Lord, are to prosper and to bless and to establish. So I release, Lord, those plans. I'm asking, Lord, that you'd open eyes and ears in the next few weeks, Lord. As people, Lord, lean back and ask and stay low and listen, that, Lord, you would, you would, you would deliver the treasures of heaven to their hearts. Because when you speak, Lord, faith comes. Because faith comes by hearing. So I thank you, Lord, that you would, you would give, Lord, not just that, that promise, but the, the faith that's necessary to establish it. And, and I thank you, Lord, that all over this place, all over, Lord, in every heart, a new future gets created right this moment. Because we say, I believe you, Lord. I believe you, Lord. I believe you, Lord, that what you said is true. So for every family, Lord, and every child in our church, we speak out the promises of God over them. And we release your favor and your blessing and your protection upon them. And we trust you, Lord, for a brand new day. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord lift up the smile of his face upon you and bring you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. As Greg was praying, I saw this picture of um, <clears throat> jars of oil at our front doors. And it was like if you arrive home and there's an Amazon box or something's been delivered, I just felt like the Lord said, I've delivered oil to your door. Oh, I've delivered lovely. anointing oil to your door. And you need to decide, has it arrived at the right address? And it has. But we need to take that oil, we need to bring it into our homes and we need to use it. But I just felt like the Lord said, there's, some, there's going to be a, a shift in atmosphere. There's going to be something that's going to change in homes this week, whether it's relationships that need healing, finances where provision is needed. I just believe the Lord has delivered oil of provision at our doors this morning. So when you get home, if you can imagine that, pick up that oil, bring it into your home. It's a gift from Him. Yeah. Amen. Good. Let me close with this. In Joseph's day, Pharaoh had a dream. Joseph was languishing in prison. Pharaoh has a dream. No one can interpret the dream. And, and then the, the cupbearer remembers that Joseph interpreted his dream. And he goes, there is a guy in prison who can do this. And so they rush into prison and they pick him up. And Joseph has time for a shower, a shave, and a change of clothes um, because he's wearing the wear, and <coughs> the wear and tear of being a prisoner was on your face because there were no prisoners didn't have razor blades. So prisoners were wild and woolly. And Joseph, they go, just have a, you better clean up and you can't go in those prison rags because you, you're going to meet the king. So they, they, but he has to shave himself uh, and he has to dress himself. It's not like they shaved him and they dressed him. They gave him a razor and they gave him a set of clothes. There's the restroom. And he cleaned himself up and he shaved himself and he dressed himself. Some of you have got, some of us, let me not say this, some of you, some of us, I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching on behalf of you. Some of us carrying the last 20 years on our face. Some of us the pain and the struggle and the hurt and the damage and the betrayal of our brothers and the, you know, the lies of other people. And you know, we're, we're, trying, we're still carrying on our face. And if you want to step into the new season, you're going to have to shave and shower and put on some new clothes. You have to make a deliberate effort to step into the new that God has for you and then Pharaoh tells him his dream, and he goes, oh, that's, 
oh, that's very cool. God is really, really being serious about this. Let me tell you about the next 14 years. This is how they're going to be. Now, all that's happened is Pharaoh had a dream. And God speaks about the next 14 years of history. And until Joseph gets up and goes, oh, this is what that is. Let me explain to you. Somebody who can see what God is going to say, then it becomes real the moment Joseph says it. And Pharaoh captures it. And he goes, I'm put you in charge. And so the next seven years are the seven fat years. Why were they seven fat years? Because God had spoken it and somebody had believed it. And it, in that moment, it was made real. And so they lived in seven fat years. And then they lived in seven thin years. But the way Joseph administrated the seven fat years, allowed him to laugh at the seven thin years. He had more than enough supply for the thin years because uh, seven years ago, the Lord had spoken about what's coming and he had believed him. And it changed the way he acted and reacted. And so when the seven thin years started, he not only had enough grain for his people, but he had grain for the rest of the world. And he began to own and began to, he was extremely wealthy. He made Pharaoh the wealthiest person in Egypt because Pharaoh owned all of Egypt by the end of the seven thin years. There is a way to administrate what God is saying to you in the next little while that God means for you to dominate. Is anybody, this is for about three people in here, but it's okay. You three are going to thank me for this. The way you administrate the next few years of God's attentive dream on your life are going to have a massive impact on where you end up. This is the intention of God. Please hear me. This is what God intends. I'm going to leave it there. God who calls to the things that do not exist as though they are is walking in the room and inviting you to lean back and ask and to sit at his feet and listen. There's treasure available, friends. My Father, for the treasures you whispered, we just say thank you for the joy and the peace and the hope they bring. We say thank you. I ask for us, Lord, as a people, would you open our eyes to see a future that you have spoken about that no one else can see? Would you settle our hearts, Lord? Would you make us a beacon of peace in the middle of a storm, overflowing with hope where there is none? Cause us to be an oasis, Lord, of resource in every way. We trust you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.